Oh my god, I can't believe I forgot to put the best card in the set into my thing. You only get three. What, what's the best card in the set? The ox stick. Oh yeah, that card is awesome. I want to talk about the ox stick. If you want the ox stick, you gotta take something out, Shivam. No, okay, fine, let me see. Take out Liliana's contract, that's boring. Put in the ox stick. I'm Phil DeLuca. I'm Shivam Putt. <laughs> and we are Commanderin. Thanks for listening, everybody. We put a spotlight on community issues, but never, ever talk about three banned topics. What are they, Phil? They are religion, politics, and Hearthstone. If you want to help the show out, don't forget to visit us on YouTube. Comment, rate, and subscribe to our channel and play our videos to the end. That actually matters to the YouTube algorithm gnomes. You can also leave a positive review wherever it is you get your podcast from. That lets us get in front of more people. Best thing you can do is tell a friend, actually. Just send a link. They have that uh, little arrow or whatever it is on Android devices to share stuff. And you can share the episode directly with one of your friends. Put it on your Twitter, your Facebook, your Tumblr, wherever you've got friends. Yeah. And if you at us, at Commander at MTG on Twitter or Instagram, we will absolutely talk to you and say hi. So don't forget to do that. If you want to financially support the show, you can visit patreon.com slash Commander at MTG. Or you can go to our PayPal link, which is at commanderandmtg.com slash donations. And we really appreciate that. A buck a show helps us tremendously your donations are the only thing that keeps this show afloat and we are grateful to all of you that's right shivan we are fully listener supported each week we like to call out three of our patrons who are so generous and this week we want to call out michael bettel schaefer <laughs> clayton Silone. Clayton and I have actually talked a couple of times, and Sid Rao. I don't know if you remember, Sid Rao wrote us a very nice letter. He submitted something for our patron contest, and we were talking about it in our channel. That's super cool. Yeah. Now, we did promise that the first episode after Vegas that we recorded, we would call out our top contributors, but we're going to have to do that next time, just because life got in the way. Boy, did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Next time we record, we'll call out our top contributors and we'll read your name as it appears in Patreon or PayPal. How about that? It's going to be exciting. Anything you write, we're going to read it, even if we have to bleep it. The The more you make us laugh, the better your chances of, well, I mean, you'll still be read, but we'll just get to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Your objective is to make us laugh. Now, what an amazing show we have lined up for our listeners. This episode, it's all about Magic Core Set 2019. We have so many good sets this year, but this one is bonkers. <laughs> As a standard set, it introduces all sorts of crazy things. But you know what? Let's stop talking about it alone. Let's introduce our guest. Since we were just on Dominaria, I thought it would be really nice to summon uh, the lead of Dominaria, the guy who brought us the greatest Vorthos set of all time, 
to come and talk about Magic 19 because as it just so happened, this man was in charge of designing the brand new Return of the Core set 2019. Our dear friend, the master of the globe himself, mm -hmm. Ethan Fleischer. Hi, it's great to be here again. Seems like it's only been like a month since I was here. I feel like you're here <laughs> almost as often as Gavin is. <laughs> I was listening to the Dominaria show in the car, and it was a really good show. Thank you for coming on again. Yeah, it's always fun to be on this show. That does mean, though, that you've basically been designing sets like continuously enough to be coming here and yeah. i do hope that watson gives you a little bit of a reprieve i am approaching the rosewaterian state where i finish designing one set and then immediately start designing the next one sometimes they actually overlap a little bit toward the end of uh quarter set 2019 design i was actually started designing a couple of other sets so yeah i had stuff overlapping all over the place and uh got a little bit a little bit hairy I'm still here, and I still work for Wizards of the Coast, so it all turned out fine. Ethan, I've wondered, with such an arduous and unpleasant task as you have, <laughs> how do you stick it out? Really, the, the excitement happens when the set, the spoilers start showing, and the fans react, and everyone gets all excited, and it's just like Christmas five or six times a year. Uh, makes it all worth it. Hmm. Makes it all worth all the, the hard hours that we spend getting paid to play Magic. All the, the grueling arguments you have about whether it should be a plus one, plus one counter for two creatures or two plus one, plus one counters on one creature. There have been epic battles fought over far less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, this time last year, we were going into Amonkhet Set 2, Hour of Devastation. Right. Tell me, Ethan... Why aren't we going into Dominaria set two? More hours of more devastation. <laughs> the original plan was to do another set in the Dominaria block, a small set, you know, much like Hour of Devastation was to Amonkhet. Uh, Salad, as it was codenamed, would have been the uh, second set in Soup block. But uh, when we switched back to the annual rotation and standard, that summer set enters at the time when standard is at its largest. It's the eighth set added to standard. And so it has it struggles to be relevant, right? It's just there are so many other cards that it has to compete with that it's kind of hard for it to make an impact. Hmm. So we wanted to have something that had an appeal to a broader audience than you know the, the standard focus I mean, obviously, all magic sets appeal to lots of audiences, but we needed a little something extra here. And we really missed the core set. We missed that return to uh, basic good bread and butter magic that's kind of like Richard Garfield intended, where the colors are what they are. <laughs> um, and we wanted this this new audience, which was the new players, right? Like, you know, we can we can appeal to standard players as much as we want, but when you have an uphill battle there... Then it's like it's time to start looking at you know what's the audience for this summer set. New players are great. Obviously, we had a certain amount of commander focus in this set, and some cards for modern players also. Cool. The community is for the first time I've seen in quite some time universal in its acclaim for how good Dominaria was. So I think a lot of people are a little bit like, why didn't we get a second Dominaria? But it does make sense that you do need to have a place to bring back staple cards for the that wouldn't necessarily fit into any of the themed sets and also get a chance to just spice it up with 
you know, cards that wouldn't go other places that you just need to keep the grease of uh, magic going. But man, it hurts to not get a second Dominaria after how amazing the first one was. The only thing I can do to make you feel better is to let you know that as disappointed as you or any other magic fan may be, none of you are as disappointed as I am. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. Fair. Yeah, but at the very least, this got Shivam to say the phrase, Grease of Dominaria. <laughs> Dominaria has everything, including Grease. Oh no, don't say that. That's Phyrexian. You're the one that I want. <laughs> yeah, there's my secret weakness. But you know what? The thing that does make it easier to go back to Core 19 instead of Dominaria 2? The greatest card cycle of all time coming back? The ponies. <laughs> <laughs> that that wasn't what I thought you were going to say, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> you gave me Sparkle Pony and all of her sisters. How could this not be amazing? But no, what I actually mean are the Elder Dragon Legends. The guys who gave the format that we love its name. And right. basically my favorite cards of all time, the cards that got me into Magic. I've still got my original set of uh, five from um, Chronicles. Don't say the C word, Shiva. <laughs> Guys, Elder Dragons are back. Elder Dragons are back. This is so good. All right. Tell me, Ethan, how did you get us to get the Elder Dragons back? All right. It looked like we wanted to do a core set, but we had this story arc going on, this really long, sprawling story arc, the kind of longest, biggest story arc we'd done since the Weatherlight Saga back in the mid-90s, the late 90s. Yeah. And I didn't want to interrupt that. I didn't want to be like, okay, we're just going to take a break from the story for three months. Everybody just hold on, and then we'll go to Ravnica and pick up where we left off. So I wanted the theme of the corset to be relevant to the story. Now, as an aside... I also thought that Nicol Bolas needed a little backstory. Like, here is this character who was maybe a little flat. He was a little one-dimensional, a little bit of a mustache twirler. What's wrong with that? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fine, but, like, you know, I, I, wanted, I, I just want to have a little more dimension to him. Like, what's his motivation? What's his plan? And what gets him out of bed in the morning? I thought this is a great this is a great opportunity to just kind of kill two birds with one stone and make a great introductory set and and introduce new players to that story. Like here's a good on ramp onto the story, but also give the enfranchised story fans some cool backstory on what Nicol Bolas's origin was. You know, we had magic origins with Gideon and Jace and Liliana and Chandra and Nyssa. What if we did Nicol Bolas origins with nobody else? Just Nicol Bolas because he's the most important being in the multiverse. So you're confirming his own opinion of himself. He's right. He's absolutely right. I mean, he's <laughs> he's totally ancient. He's the last surviving member of his race. I don't know. Ugin might have something to say about that. Well, as far as he knows, he's the most powerful, the last surviving member of his race. Lugan's survival is is known by very few at this point. I guess that does lead into the one controversy. Kate Elliott has been writing the story for Core 2019, and it's been phenomenal. Like, just absolutely the history of the Elder Dragons. I'm completely enthralled with it. But she has Ugin in there, and he's not in this set. Yeah, yeah. Ugin is a, Ugin is a prominent part of the story. 
and that's because Ugin is going to be important in the future of the story. We did consider putting an Ugin Planeswalker card in the set. I, I should point out, nobody really had written this story uh, when I was working on the set. We kind of imagined what we thought a future story team would need. That story team didn't really exist yet. We were, you know, organizationally, we were in transition between the R&D world building team writing the stories and the new franchise team being in charge of the stories. And Uh. so there wasn't exactly a clear idea of who is going to be writing this story. Mm. The R&D team did not have the resources to write it. And it actually looked for a while like I was going to have to write the story. And let me tell you, it would have been... (laughs) Much less well written. <laughs> I am very much a uh, continuity nerd at heart, and uh, there would have been a lot of uh, very specific details about old comic book storylines and things. We would have known all about the food that they're eating. I did some work on the Dominaria world building team, and I felt like I was in my element there working on the world guide, but yeah, anyway. just as well that that didn't happen but yeah so we didn't know what the story is going to be we didn't even know that ugin and nickel bolas were twins the coolest story element ever right which is amazing and i love it but we didn't know so and and we didn't know that that ugin was gonna play as prominent a role in the story as he did and even if he had even if we had known this i don't know if we could have got ugin in the set like, we talked about, oh, should we put Ugin in here? He has this battle with Bolas going back millennia. And I was like, you know, there are 11 planeswalkers in this set. 11. Like, no joke, we had to design all of those cards. Oh, yeah, because the intro ones too, right? Right. So, like, I'm going to tell you, that was too many planeswalkers. Like, that was too much. We should not have put 11 planeswalkers in a set. <laughs> we couldn't handle it. It didn't go as well as I would have liked. It was too hard. So the intro deck Vivian ended up completely by accident looking almost exactly the same as the red-white Huatli card. We didn't just like copy our own homework or whatever. We just designed both cards to be good intro deck cards and they ended up the same. But like, it's embarrassing. Like there were just too damn many planeswalkers. So we'll be seeing more of Ugin in the future. Like the reason he is so prominent in the story is because he is going to continue to be prominent in the story. So Ugin is going to be prominent in the story. Is there uh, another colorless planeswalker in our future? I'm actually not 100% sure on what all the cards are in all the future sets. but yeah. uh, And even if I was, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're setting him up for future, future important uh, story moments here. So like, we've got to make sure everybody knows who Ugin is and what his relationship to Nicol Bolas is. I know that um, I had read that Core 19, you guys were trying to expand beyond just showing us a core set and also giving us kind of like a glimpse at the multiverse throughout time at various kind of big juncture points. Like, I, I know that the the five that you have in there are like Ajani, Tezret, Liliana, Sarkin, and the the new green one. And I thought that's a cool idea, but why did you choose these specific... Um, walkers and these specific times for these characters so all of these characters have had important past dealings with nickel bolas that are relevant parts of his big scheme right he has a big plan that's been going on 
for 60 years in, in universe and like geez since since alara block in the real world so all of these characters are involved in important parts of his backstory with regard to his current plan, what he's up to, why all the things that have been happening on Amonkhet and Kaladesh and Dominaria and Ixalan, and then in the future in Ravnica. Why is all this stuff happening is all connected with these characters. So Ajani battled against Nicol Bolas on Alara. Tezzeret has been working for Bolas for years. He stole the planar bridge from Kaladesh. Liliana, as we just found out at the end of the Dominaria story, is in Bolas's thrall. He, he arranged her entire demonic contract with the four demons and stands to win her contract now that all of the other four uh, members of the consortium have been killed. Sarkon was a pawn of Bolas who was instrumental in releasing the Eldrazi which led to the formation of the Gatewatch. And we haven't really heard all the backstory on Vivian Reed yet, but uh, Bolas went to her plane for some reason and left it completely destroyed. There is no plane of Scala anymore. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. I'm super excited to just see where this goes. And Ajani being one of my favorite characters ever, really happy to see him come back. Yeah, but I don't like that Ajani's last stand card or what it implies. That, uh, that refers to a past event. Uh, Johnny's fine. Don't worry. He's okay. That was, that was a reference to the, the big battle that he had against Nicol Bolas, where uh, Johnny summoned an avatar that was kind of a mirror image of Bolas, and they fought each other to a draw, and then Bolas retreated from the plane. Maybe not, uh, in retrospect, the best name, because it kind of implies <laughs> that, you know, I uh, hope you didn't like Johnny too much, because uh, he ain't coming back, but he's, he's coming back. Johnny's fine. <laughs> Just in case you forgot we had him. Too bad, because he's gone again. <laughs> no, no. Johnny's just fine. So, M19. Let's talk a little bit about oh, the set yeah. itself. So, it releases July 13th. 280 cards in the set. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a little bit larger than a normal large set, um, just because we have the the 10 Enter the Battlefield tap dual lands that sometimes appear in the basic land slot, and then the Nicol Bolas double-faced card. You are the first lead designer to uh, walk with, if you will, a set from concept all the way to delivery, right? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm the first, but I'm certainly the first in a long time. I, I need to ask Rosewater about that, see if anybody else has done this before. But uh, yeah, I was in charge of the vision design team and then also the set design team. So I, I was pretty much in charge of all the game design from soup to nuts. So you were vision design on Dominaria as well, right? Uh, I led the exploratory design team, which is kind of where we came up with the historical theme of the set. What is Dominaria about? It's about a world with a past that informs its present. I was not in charge of the, uh, the nitty-gritty where we actually get down and start making the set itself. And anyone who hasn't heard it yet, uh, go to episode 134, where Ethan talks about making the official map, the canonical map of Dominaria from a globe that was created by... Uh... Pete Venters. He was in charge of the continuity team back in the uh, mid-90s. When we were talking to you, you were talking all about the past of Dominaria and all sorts of fun stuff. 
we at the time we didn't know that the next set you led was actually a, a kind of a, a dive into the past and the history of dominaria you were pretty sneaky there yeah yeah one of the things that came up was uh and it was just like this thing that kept tickling in my mind oh you know what would be really cool because the first card I knew I wanted to make in the set was a Nicol Bolas double face card in the style of the Magic Origins double face cards. But I kept thinking about how cool it would be if we did the other Elder Dragons too. And they're of course all from Dominaria, I believe. I mean, as, as far as I know, they're, they're from Dominaria. Which means Ugin is from Dominaria. Yeah. I thought kind of later on after we'd already established that we were going to use these five planeswalkers and here's what it's about and we'd done some of the the design work on the planeswalker decks and the welcome decks and stuff um, but after a while I was like as I was getting kind of along in set design I thought oh man we really need to go all the way back to the beginning and I want to get Nicol Bolas's brothers and sisters and cousins in here too and just Remembering how cool the Elder Dragons were, because I was playing Magic back when Legends came out. Yeah. And I also have a playset of Chronicles uh, Elder Dragons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I was like, oh man, those things were so sweet, but they suck. They're so bad now. Uh, they're, just, they're just very inefficient, right? Like you have to pay this upkeep cost and they all cost like, what do they cost? Eight, Eight mana or something? Um, for these seven, seven flyers. Yeah, it's it's rough. They are bad. Like I have a, a Nicol Bolas commander deck, so I ha- I run OG Nicol Bolas. I mean, he's the best of the bunch, and even he's pretty bad. And I run Chromium in my white bordered Dakon Blackblade deck. But uh, Vivictus Asmati was good. I mean, it was seven seven flying trample, and then Palladia was the one with fire breathing. That was awesome. No, Palladia was the one with trample. Vivictus was the one that had fire breathing in all three colors. And then Arcades Sabbath had the castle effect and, and the blessing effect. I remember playing against um, Vivictus with a mana flare. And then the guy just like fireballed the crap out of me with his. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, that, that's cool. Yeah, I guess you can one shot somebody in Commander with that or in EDH, depending on what you want to call it. It should be EDH just for the show at the very least. You have your choice of 15 different uh, commanders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. We do have 15 now, don't we? Oh, man. So good. All right, Ethan. Well, um, since we're already there, do you want to tell us some cool stories about this set? Sure. The Elder Dragons were like the last sort of Bolas-related ingredient that we added. The Making the set was very much an additive process we started out with the welcome decks and we're like okay here's the cards we need for the welcome decks and then we went to the planeswalker decks okay let's let's add on the things that we need for the planeswalker decks and a lot of the welcome deck cards also made it into the planeswalker decks and then we took all those cards and we put them in the main set and use that as the foundation for building out our uh our limited environment then we figured this needs to be much more complex and deep than what is implied by the welcome deck and the planeswalker deck cards right like that's that's simple and accessible and great and all but just like it's not going to be enough to keep people interested in like drafting the set on magic online for months which is important right like we gotta we gotta hit all the audiences so we added all kinds of like cool build arounds and made sure that you know instead of just having the five themes 
from the Planeswalker decks, we, we built it out into 10 themes, some of which are, you know, not very loud, right? They're things that you'll need to explore a little bit to find. So we, we tried to build in that limited depth. And then, of course, we layered in constructed cards for standard and for commander. And so at that point, we had a set that was slightly smaller than a large set. And they were like, oh, this set just needs a little more juice. Okay, let's design some some weird modern cards, add those in the set, and just round it off to like large set size and call it good. So that's that's kind of how that went. Like the uh, one mana exile target colorless creature? Right. Like, <laughs> all right, this is... <laughs> we, got, <laughs> we got your number, Mr. Eldrazi, right? We even put a, a demon choking out an Eldrazi in the art. Like, that's what this is for. <laughs> use it against your opponent's Tron deck, right? But, like, it's, you know, like you can use it against, uh, you know, um, stuff from Kaladesh block and standard, but it's mostly aimed at modern. I take out that Thopter token. <laughs> <laughs> it seems really bizarre to start from the welcome deck, because I've been playing with my son lately. I've been teaching him how to play with magic cards, and uh, thus far, all he knows is that if he throws them into a pile, Papa will get mad and pick them up. <laughs> it's a good game. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun, but, like... Is that where the plus one, plus seven combat trick came from? No, that was more of a... (laughs) That was a a card that I, like, put in without really thinking about it very much. And then just, like, everybody argued about it constantly throughout (laughs) the process. And there were people like, this card is cool. And people were like, what is this lame card? It was very interesting. And we ended up keeping it in the set. But... uh, that wasn't really built for the uh, for the welcome decks so much. The kind of things that we really wanted for the welcome decks were cards that are you know s- simple is nice, but also um, cards that teach you about the game. Mm. So like a card with vigilance is great for the welcome deck because not everybody's going to sit down and read the comprehensive rules all 275 pages of them <laughs> before they start playing. Right? Nobody wants to do that. So we put in a bunch of cards that teach people. Uh, Magic has this exception-based rule system, right? You have the the basic rules, but then there's the golden rule of Magic, which is if the card and the rule book disagree, the card wins, right? And right. that applies everywhere to even the most basic level of the game. So you have a card with Vigilance that says this creature doesn't tap when attacking. It's right there in the reminder text. And that teaches you something. It teaches you that every other creature in this game taps when it attacks. And you have a card with haste that says this creature can attack or activate abilities with a tap in, in their ability, in their uh, cost, the turn you it enters the battlefield in your control or whatever. I don't remember the exact haste reminder text. But you know it implies that summoning sickness is a thing here. And without ever having to explain it, Without ever having to touch the rule book, you can learn these things from cards like that. So those were the kinds of cards that really excited us for the the introductory products. That's really clever. That's cool. Yeah, that was something Sean Main came up with. That's a really neat idea. I never thought about that. Teaching people magic is a real brutal and difficult uh, sport. Right, and, and making it as organic to the play process as possible is really valuable because ultimately... The important thing isn't, did they play with the simplest cards possible? The point isn't, did they learn to do the rules perfectly? The point is, did they have fun and do they want to play again? That's what really matters, right? So if we can like sneak some teaching in there while they're having fun, that's that's the best way to do it. 
So you're saying the welcome decks aren't Drago? <laughs> no, no, and, and I, I really do think that the the welcome decks and the planeswalker decks are just the best versions of those we've ever made for the new player. Um, yeah, just because we were able to prioritize that audience instead of just building them out of whatever was left over from you know the booster pack product, um, it, it just really showed. Yeah, that's really cool. But really. We don't want to talk about those people because all of your listeners are heavily <laughs> enfranchised commander junkies. And let's talk what? about some commander stuff. <laughs> Sir, we like to refer to those junkies as the elite. That's right. That's what they are. Because commander, as I, as I always say, is the queen of all formats. It is. The greatest format in all of Magic. Okay, so Ethan, one of the first times I ever met you in person, we got to play a game, I think it was at PAX, and you pulled out this super janky bear deck that I was just like completely flabbergasted by because it had every random 2-2 piece of cardboard that you guys have ever put together with the title bear on it. Well, not only does it have every every bear that is available in the teamer colors, not only does it have everything that makes bear tokens in the teamer colors, it has every single card with a bear in the art in teamer colors. Yeah, it was it was definitely reaching when you get up into like the later, <laughs> like the last uh, 20 cards that you put into that deck. It definitely felt a little bit like desperation. But you know what that card always, I mean, you know what that deck always needed? A legend. A yeah, legendary yeah, there's, there's bear. never been a legendary bear. <laughs> so, yeah, we managed to uh, put the first legendary bear in all of Magic into Corset 2019. Uh, it, was not, it was not really designed to be a bear necessarily. It was, uh, you know, each of the monocolor, there are five monocolor legends in the set at Rare, and each of them is designed to provide a commander that plays into what the color's primary theme is. Um, so, you know, the, the white theme is about going wide and with a little life gain maybe, but yeah, it's mostly about going wide with lots of small creatures. Blue is about artifacts. Black is about graveyard recursion. Uh, red is about dragons and green is about huge creatures. So Gore Claw is three and a green for a four, three legendary bear. And, uh, she says creature spells you cast with power four or greater cost two less to cast. And whenever Goreclaw Terror of Calcisma attacks, each creature you control with power four or greater gets plus one, plus one, and gains trample until end of turn. So this is a card that you want to put some powerful creatures in here. And of course, power four or greater is the, that's the, the uh, ferocious number, right? From mm -hmm. Cons of Tarkir and Fate Reforge. So when it came time for James Wyatt to concept the card, he's like, oh, this should... This should have a tie-in with the Teamer Clan, and the symbol of the Teamer Clan is the bear. They are they live with the bears and occasionally punch the bears or get punched by the bears, but uh, <laughs> they have kind of a a thing going on with the bears there. So Goreclaw was concepted as uh, from the Calcisma region, which is within the Teamer territories. And the picture definitely looks like uh, Sarkin's getting a smackdown from that bear. Oh uh, yeah. It, it might it might be Surak. It might be. I, mean, I can neither confirm nor deny. Yeah, but he definitely whoever that is is on the wrong side of a bear claw and is probably having not a great day. Personally, looking at that, I'm thinking that's not Surak because that guy looks like he's about to be dead. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
maybe his name is Kyle Sisma, and this is the terror he's feeling is Gorklaw just being like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole region was named after him after this. <laughs> <laughs> That's the place where we found pieces of him scattered all over. Yeah. yeah the region is the distribution of the pieces. <laughs> Poor Kyle Sisma. This is a great card for you know putting some big fat creatures in there and getting them out fast uh and certainly obviously i'm going to put a copy of this in my bear deck because i have all yeah. the bears in there i'm also definitely putting a copy of this in my reki the history of kamigawa set uh deck because i have a lot of big green creatures in there and that deck loves cost reduction abilities and cost reduction by two is crazy because I'm just going to cast a legendary creature, draw a card, cast a legendary creature, draw a card, and each one of them is going to cost two less, except for the little weenie ones. Like, that's going to be good. Ironically, this doesn't work very well with bears. Yeah, well, that's pretty sad, but <laughs> wasn't really an important uh, goal at the time. But uh, <laughs> as somebody who, who has, you know, one of the greatest... If I, if I can blow my own horn, one of the greatest bear commander decks of all time, I feel like I can confidently say that uh, we don't play bear tribal because it's easy, because there's <laughs> anybody holding our hand. We play it because it's terrible. And uh, fortunately for us, this card does nothing to improve that deck. I don't know if you recall. <laughs> we played together with your bear deck and... I had uh, Jank Traxa, and the other guy yeah. had sort of a janky coin toss, uh, Zinder Spilt, and Aquan. You may recall that it took a long time for that game to end. <laughs> Was there a lot of uh, coins being flipped? There were a lot. Oh, so many coins. Okay, you know, the one thing that does make me sad is that Goreclaw doesn't work with the greatest bear in the history of magic, Bruce Tarl. But... I guess we'll just have to figure that one out. <laughs> you just need to partner Bruce Tarl up with somebody that has uh, green in their color identity. I oh guess. my god, that's going to be so much fun. It's, it's complicated, but you can get there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say Torsten von Ursus, but I guess not. <laughs> Torsten. Ah, legends. Will you never, never be good? But I do want to talk about the next card you have on your list, Ethan, which is, again, a throwback to one of my favorite cards of all time, Arcadis Sabbath, and the brand new, amazing, amazingly cool Arcadis the Strategist. The card that has suddenly made Wall of Kelp into the hottest commodity from Homeland or whatever set that was. Yeah, in. it was Homeland. Arcades definitely speaks to me as someone who loves Jank. The original Arcades uh, had the ability that gave all of your untapped creatures plus zero plus two. It was so good with my Sarah Angels. Yes, it's the rules text from Castle. I was like, okay, Arcades has something to do with castles and fortifications, I guess. Uh, so I, I, this one actually came out from hole filling. So I sent out the assignment and I was like, okay, we want to bant colored Elder Dragon with flying and... It should have something to do with fortifications. <laughs> and this card came back that was like Defender Tribal. And I was like, oh my God, I can't resist this because I I love wall decks. I just, when Rise <laughs> of the Eldrazi came out, you could build a wall deck and limited. I was in so much heaven. I just couldn't believe it. It was so exciting to me just because walls, 
are just terrible, stupid things and building a whole <laughs> deck around them just really appeals to me. So when this design came in, it was like, okay, whenever a defender comes in, you draw a card and then the defenders can all attack and they all have, you know, door in the siege tower text where they deal damage equal to their toughness. I was like, okay, I, I cannot resist this. I'm putting it in my <laughs> And he's set. got Vigilant, which makes me so happy. Yeah. But I just love that if you play Wall of Blossoms or something with this, suddenly you have a 4-4 four, four for 2 that drew you two cards. I know, I know. So or good. like Wall of Air is like a 3-mana 5-5 five, five flying cantrip. <laughs> I mean, obviously, your, your deck gets a lot worse if your commander's not on the battlefield. Wall but, of Glaciers uh, for the 8 action. There's some good walls once you get Arcades out. The fact uh, that you can't use Venti, though, makes me real sad. Yeah. I mean, we can't win them all. But. We can't win them all. And honestly, like, Vent Sentinel aside, I do feel like these are the three colors you want for your wall deck. Like, any wall deck without Jungle Barrier just <laughs> just wouldn't feel right, right? <laughs> True facts. Everybody wants to build a wall deck. I want to build a wall deck. I'm super yeah, stoked I'm gonna for this build guy. one. Uh, but I, I have to say that uh, I'm going to need two copies of Arcades. Uh, you know, same as with Glorclaw, because I decided that uh, what I really wanted to do for my next commander deck is take the Ur Dragon and build with every single legendary dragon <laughs> in the entire game, which does not leave a lot of slots left for ramp and stuff. But I've collected all the legends. I'm just waiting for my uh, for my M19 cards to show up. I've got all the legendary dragons, and I am gonna make it happen. It's gonna be—I don't—I don't know what it's gonna be. It's probably gonna be having trouble with its mana. I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't put Lathis on there. Well, I mean, I—I I only got three picks. I'm sure so. we can make an exception. You must have made her for the queen of all formats. Well, yeah, obviously. Uh, yeah, she's in the same cycle as Goreclaw, so she's the red member, and she's a dragon tribal reward. Uh, I should point out that Goreclaw and, and Lathis and a lot of these legends, Arcades, and most of these cards, uh, we tested them using the Brawl format. This was before Brawl mm. really took off. It was something that uh, Gavin Verhe had cooked up. We were, you know, it was just experimental at the time, but it just seemed like a great testbed format so most of the legends in the set except for the ones that were very like oriented towards standard gameplay uh were tested using brawl rather than commander just because it's so much faster and easier to make a brawl deck than it is to make a commander deck yeah uh arcades though we we, we cheated a little bit and let you get defenders from any time during magic's history <laughs> because uh, there aren't that many defenders in standard but i don't know that deck looks sick though i think it's gonna be super fun and I'm looking forward to building that one. Yeah, I've played it. It's good. It's fun. Now you've got a, another Elder Dragon as your third. Yeah, yeah. Vevictus Asmati. This is one that shook out of those Brawl playtests. Like Arcades you know, is more or less the same as the initial design. You know, we, we changed the numbers a little bit and made them a little more efficient and things. But uh, Vevictus Asmati, the initial design, turned out to be not inspiring at all i don't remember what it was but it just did not work out in the slightest and so like those of us who were like the serious commander players who uh, work at wizards i got myself and uh, robert drawbaugh and uh, david mcdarby who uh, used to do those commander versus videos for star mm -hmm. city uh yeah so we were, we got together in a room and we did some battling and we just like hashed out what vevictus as Madi should do uh, Vevictus is a uh, 
in the comic books, he's one of the characters in the old magic comic books from the 90s. And he was uh, very much like a sower of of dissent and confusion. He would try to get people to do things that weren't in their best interest and stuff. Uh, and so we kind of abstracted that out into this sort of chaos effect. So it's he does a chaos warp variant uh, yeah. that hits all the players. So you kind of build your own deck so that, uh, you know, to maximize the potential for sacrificing things and uh, flipping something good off the top. When he attacks, everybody sacrifices a permanent they control of your choice and then, you know, flips the top card of their library. And if it's a permanent, it goes onto the battlefield. So you can use this to upgrade your permanence and you can just use it to downgrade your opponent's permanence. So it has kind of this disruptive element combined with this weird combo effect you know kind of a, a limited polymorph effect that uh there are lots of ways to abuse it i suspect <laughs> you think i do i do now did you choose sacrifice effect to avoid the extra shuffling uh yes yeah we didn't want yeah i, I try to eliminate shuffling as much as possible from this set because for new players shuffling is a serious barrier like for experienced players like us it's not a big deal but uh and you know some people have arthritis or whatever even if they're very experienced they might have trouble with shuffling but the the main concern that i had there was just you know i've taught lots of players to play magic and i've seen just what a struggle it is to shuffle it's just a huge barrier to the game yeah also um there was like a word count issue with this card too like it's very wordy already and so you know we we took pains to cut words wherever possible it's not a targeted destruction because that would have ended up adding a whole bunch of words and stuff so uh yeah it's all a lot of it is here just to keep the word count from from making the text microscopic (laughs) i thought you guys didn't like the chaos warp ability or is that only in modern red that you don't like it yeah the mark rosewater is not a fan of the chaos warp ability because it allows a red card to destroy permanence that red should not have the capability of destroying enchantments being the biggest offender there because you know red should not be able to destroy something that is non-physical like that but uh vevictus you know is black and red and green and between those three colors they can destroy any type of permanent so uh, that's not a concern <laughs> at all here. Especially green, right? Well, I mean, green isn't supposed to... <laughs> it's, <laughs> d- Desert Twister notwithstanding, that's another color pie violation. <laughs> but, uh, you know, black can destroy creatures, and red can destroy artifacts, and green can destroy enchantments, red can destroy lands. So, yeah, they, they've got all the bases covered there. So from a color pie standpoint, Victus as Mahdi is uh, in good standing. Black destroys planeswalkers as well, right? That's true. That's true. Yeah, because this can destroy planeswalkers. <laughs> I'm so excited. It's I've just been like screaming about these guys since like the day they were announced because Elder Dragons are literally my favorite thing in Magic, except for one thing. Do you know what that one thing is? Is it soldiers, Shivam? It is, in <laughs> fact, soldiers. Soldier tokens are my favorite thing in Magic that aren't Elder Dragons. And you know what you gave me in M19, Ethan? <laughs> You gave me soldier tokens. Yeah. Especially with Lena Selfless Champion, the uh, six mana cost and cost three, three. Uh, that's, why is she a human knight? Why do you got to do that to a brother? She's on a horse. What are you going to do? You could have taken yeah. her off the horse. <laughs> but when she enters the battlefield, she makes a 1-1 soldier for each non-token creature you control. 
I cannot tell you how mind-blowing that text is to me, especially since I use Anointed Procession in my Soldier's deck. So I'm getting two soldiers for the price of one. Yeah, but in your Soldier's deck, you have a lot of soldier tokens. Yeah, but I also have permanents. I have to have, I mean, the, each of the soldiers needs to have a leader. So I'll get at least like four or five, maybe. All right. But I mean, like, look, Brima's right? He's got to have friends. But then you can sack her and do... Creatures that control with power less than Lena's power gain indestructible until end of turn, which is like every soldier token unless they get super powered. Right, but even if you have a bunch of anthem effects or something, Lena is also going to be larger. So anything that's base power toughness or base power two or less will be protected by Lena. This card makes me so excited. Just even by herself, she's a great leader. In a soldier's deck, the thing that we have the biggest problem with is wrath effects. You know, all of those red spells that do two damage to everybody, your pyroclasms and friends. So right. having the ability to make something indestructible is so, so good. And right now there's only like two or three effects that I'm using in that deck. So I'm thrilled to death to find a slot for her. This is really, really great. Yeah, this is this is a card that like rewards you for going wide. Just like dump your hand on the battlefield because you want to make as many soldier tokens as you can. Also, you don't have the shields down moment. Like, you don't have to pay mana and sacrifice her. You don't have to think about it and sacrifice her. You're just like, oh, is my team about to die? No, actually, it's not. That's why she had to cost six mana. Yeah, but, that's, uh, that's a little hard. But, like, she, she kind of wants to cost... She wants to come out later in the game anyway, right? Like, she wants you to have an established board presence. Then you play her and make your board presence enormous... And then she protects it. So she definitely does what you, you want as a curve topper in a go-wide strategy. Yes. And it was also very kind of you to include Mentor of the Meek in this set so that she can also draw you a whole group of cards. Yeah. You, <laughs> you will find there are a whole bunch of cards in, the, in white that uh, all kind of are pushing in the same direction. That's all about playing lots of small creatures. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was literally made for me. Like this entire set was literally made for me from top to bottom, right down to you actually including me in the set. I appreciate the uh, <laughs> the card that you made in my likeness, Psy the Master Thopterus. I don't know if you know this, and I actually know that you don't know this, but when I was a kid, my original characters that I used to make were named things like Psy. So when this guy showed up, he literally got my goatee, Literally got my hair and is the name of all of the characters I played as a kid. Do you wear a pince nez uh, when you're out and about? <laughs> well, I did. I have when I was in college. Really? Yeah. Oh, sweet. My mustache That's and cool. beard used to get real pointy. But like, okay, if I hadn't just told you that you just made a card specifically for me, you did it again with a guy who said, when you cast an artifact spell, make a 1-1 colorless softer artifact creature. And then you can pay two and pitch two artifacts to draw a card. This is so good. Yeah, the party the party never ends with this guy. <laughs> I am super stoked about this. This is absurd. I'm angry it wasn't our preview card. I would have written an essay, <laughs> whatever you wanted. This is basically all I want out of magic is thopters and drawing cards. Does Pia Nalar hate this guy? Like, he's better than she is at nearly everything. Well, no, but she can, like, make things unblockable. They work together. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they're on the same team here. I think they're all, all they're right. all on Team Thopter, right? He's not working for the uh, consoles. I I can't uh, reveal story details about Psy yet. Uh, there will be some kind of story information in the uh, player's guide, but uh, ooh, didn't mean to stumble on that. I can just say that uh, I'm pretty excited 
about this guy's profile. He's got this just like super desi look to him with this amazing nose. I'm all about it. Oh man, this set is so chock full of ridiculous. But I'm pretty sure there has never been a card in Magic since Hot Soup that is nearly as ridiculous as the greatest card of all time, Transmogrifying <laughs> One, aka the Battle Cattle Summoner. Right. So this uh, this is a, an artifact that enters with three charge counters for three mana, and you can pay one, tap it, and remove a charge counter from it to destroy target creature. And its controller creates a two-four white ox creature token. Activate this ability only anytime you cast a sorcery. So this is like Pongify on a stick, literally. Uh, you get three Pongifies, but instead of getting apes, you get oxen. So this card was, we went through a lot. Like, obviously, there were a whole bunch of game balance and gameplay considerations. But the most important thing that we battled over for months, which is, what is the funniest possible token <laughs> that you could make yes. with this card? So there was a lot of discussion about like, what's funny? Is an ape funny? Is an elephant funny? And finally we landed on ox. We're like, okay, turning something into an ox is pretty <laughs> pretty damn funny. Yeah. I yeah. kind of wish it was a goat, but I will take an ox just because yoked ox is so great. We needed something medium-sized also, right? Like, uh, you know, something in the like... <laughs> in the two, three to three, four kind of, kind of space here. Cause I didn't want to turn it into like a one, one goat. Cause that's sure. You might as well have destroyed it at that point. I wanted it to <laughs> still be a relevant creature. So yeah, when we landed on ox as being a really funny thing to turn someone into, then we were like, okay, it's gotta be a two, four ox after the <laughs> most famous ox in magic pillar field. Ox. Yes. Speaking of my boy, Bruce Tarl. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This goes into two decks right away. And the first is Shivam's soldier deck because, you know, you can turn those 1-1 one, one soldiers into 2-4 That's right. You, you can upgrade things with this. Yeah, it's a strict upgrade for only one mana. Then the other is, this goes into Jank Atraxa. Oh, definitely. Right? Oh my god, new counters every turn. Yeah. <laughs> this is so dumb. I love this yeah. card. And then I get to hand out oxen to all my friends. Ollie, ollie, oxen free. Yeah. Oh, we do get a good ox token, right? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Great. Yeah, no one one snakes with death touch, but by God, we get some ox tokens. I'm past all that now. I've moved on to oxen. I love this card even. <laughs> First off, this card is super D&D, right? It's a wand oh, yeah. that turns things into other things. It's iconic because it references one of the like the most hated cards in Magic, the battle cattle that shows up in like every set, and you're just like, why is this here? But it's awesome. It's awesome. I love it when you guys do things like this that take just pure flavor concepts, pure resonant fantasy concepts, and like underutilized magic things and put them together to make something amazing. Yeah, yeah, we did a lot of that resonant fantasy here. It's one of the hallmarks of the core sets ever since Magic 2010. It was definitely one of the, the guiding lights for our design was double down on resonant fantasy. Well, I need a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Go ahead, Phil. I, I didn't choose anything nearly as fun as that, um, but I did choose something somewhat chaotic. I have Sarkin's Unsealing. For three and a red, it's an enchantment. Whenever you cast a creature spell with power four, 
five or six Sarkin's Unsealing deals four damage to any target. Yes. And then whenever you <laughs> cast a creature spell with power seven or greater, Sarkin's Unsealing deals four damage to each opponent and each creature and planeswalker they control. Wow. Yeah, so this uh, this is... We kind of made a, a story-related card for each of the five monocolor planeswalkers related to... You know the the tale that where they intersected Bolas's grand schemes. So here we see uh, Sarkon in the Eye of Ugin accidentally releasing the Eldrazi from the uh, the prison that they'd been in for millennia. This card is uh, really good with Eldrazi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. Little bit, little bit. I mean, the seven. Obviously, you want to summon your seven sevens, but you bring out Ulamog. And suddenly you're doing four points to everybody. It's like Kozilex. What was that uh, spell? Kozilex Kozilex return. return, Yeah. Oh my god. It's kind of like that. And it's an enchantment. You can just keep doing it. And you know, you you get some some little damage. Just a a mere four damage to any target with the the medium sized creatures. The four to six drops. Oh, any target. That means players too. Oh. Yeah, players, creatures, planeswalkers. And it's an enchantment. Oh, man, that's going to be irritating. Card types yet to be invented. (laughs) (laughs) I like this. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah, I think it's going to see play in a lot of commander tables. I'm tempted to put that into Itali, but... Itali doesn't need more help. (laughs) Sorry, you don't get any more cards, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) My next card is actually our preview card. I definitely wanted to talk about this one with you sun cleanser uh it's a bear almost one in a white human cleric cleric tribal comes up again remember vizier uh it's a one for human cleric when sun cleanser enters the battlefield choose one remove all counters from target creature it can't have counters put on it for as long as sun cleanser remains on the battlefield or target opponent loses all counters that player can't get counters for as long as sun cleanser remains on the battlefield what so you want to hear how this card happened yeah all right so it was getting really late in design and energy decks were just tearing up standard it was just ridiculous there were too many energy decks and they were too strong we're like okay if (laughs) we've got to do something about this we need to just design an absolutely blunt instrument to just wreck them. <laughs> so, right, okay, we'll make this thing. And it, and it had entered the battlefield in that last ability there. Target opponent loses all counters. That player can't get counters. It might have even said target player, I think, at first. And Rosewater, of course, kicked up a fuss because he was like, that's going to take off uh, poison counters. We can't have that. Nothing can take off poison counters. <laughs> I was like, okay, Mark. <laughs> Except leeches. He just, that, that card, it's dead to him. Then we were like, Jesus, this card just looks weird. Like, a if little you bit, yeah. Get, if you open this in limited, you're just like, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> so we added the other mode where it can, like, kill a hydra or something. It's like, okay, at least it does something to something in this set. Uh, and then, of course, we between the the you know finishing the set and releasing the set, we banned a whole bunch of the cards from the energy deck because it just, we couldn't we couldn't wait any longer. We we're like, I can't, we can't wait. We banned. Well, I don't remember exactly which two cards they were, but we we banned two of the energy cards, and so now the energy deck is totally reasonable. And this card came out, and we we're like, 
okay, well, who else would be interested in this card? And it's like, oh, commander players might like this because there, there are some other interesting counters running around on players in that <laughs> format that where there are some other overpowered cards with uh, a mechanic that <laughs> that puts counters on players. Let's uh, let's give it to the commander and guys to preview because this is a commander card now. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> so yeah, we got your you got your experience counters under control now. Yeah, and it does a bunch of other weird, interesting things too. I remember you guys. I listened to your preview show and like. Yeah, it's got a, a lot of interesting uses. I think this card yeah. is going to be really neat because one of the things about Commander is that people come up with weird ways to use counters all the time. And having something that just resets the board is going to be a lot of fun. This is fun because it's sort of a release valve or a lancet, depending on your perspective, for uh, all sorts of future counter jankiness. Yeah, because, you know, we're going to do more counters eventually. Like, you know, once you taste that forbidden fruit, you just keep going back to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, forbidden fruit. Good old Marin. Why is this card from Ixalan instead of, say, uh, peeking out from New Phyrexia? Well, that is an excellent question. And the reason is this was art that we had in the slush file. So this was commissioned for Ixalan or Rivals of Ixalan. And for whatever reason, you know, the card that it was for got cut or something. And so we had this extra art. And like, this was made very late in the process. We didn't have time to commission new art for it. We found some art that looked like it would go fine with, with the concept of a small creature that, you know, cleans things up. It's, it's blasting something with white light. That's how, that's how white does the laundry. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah so we just concepted it as a as a cleric and yeah i think it works fine quite different from my last card a sorcery fraying omnipotence for three and black black um each player loses half their life <laughs> then discards half their cards in their hand then sacrifices half the creatures they control round up each time <laughs> Right, so, so this sorry. is based on the, the famous card from Ice Age, Pox, yeah. which uh, makes each player lo- lose a third of their life, then discard a third of their cards, and sacrifice a third of their creatures, and then they sacrifice a third of their lands. We left the land part out because uh, that didn't seem like it would be maybe as much fun as we would like. But uh, yeah, so we uh, we wanted to make three cards that represented Nicol Bolas at the height of his power as a godlike pre-mending planeswalker. Nicol Bolas losing his power and his immortality, which is what Fraying Omnipotence represents. And then another card representing him scheming and trying to get his power back. So this Fraying Omnipotence creatively represents the moment of the mending during Time Spiral Block, when the multiverse was saved and, and fixed from all the time rifts, but all the planeswalkers were depowered, uh, which was a good thing for almost everybody, but a really bad thing for Nicol Bolas, because uh, he was on top of the world until then. And the uh, apex of power is the one where he is omnipotent, right? Right, and then patient rebuilding is uh, the one representing his, his current plots. That card looks fun. The whole set looks fun, Shiva. Dude, I didn't even get to talk about the uh, new Brimas that you made. I know, right? Oh, God, this card, this set is full of just... I just hope it plays really well in Limited, because it's got, like, all these amazing cards that look a little disparate, 
but I'm excited. Yeah, I have to say that Dominaria is going to be a really hard act to follow. I think it's one of the one of the best sets we've ever made, and uh, one of the best limited sets we've ever made. So I'm a little nervous. I'm, I'm tugging on my collar right now, if you can imagine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we played it, and it's a lot of fun. It may not be, you know, it may not be fun for as long as Dominaria is, but it was a heck of a lot of fun. It's a good palette cleanser to like get back to basics. And there's a lot of cool little build arounds here and there. And then we have these uh, five three color mythic rare bombs that will uh, add some depth just because every once in a while somebody's going to build a three color deck that they otherwise wouldn't because they're going to want to build around Vavictus as Mahdi or Chromium or, or what have you. So I, I have a reasonable amount of confidence in the, uh, in the limited play here. I think it's going to yeah. be a lot of fun. It really does look good. I'm really excited. I've I've been buying a lot of boxes, and now the question is: Do I buy only three boxes of this, or do I go for the full case? Oh my goodness! All right, well, you're the like the the kind of uh, magic fan that we really like. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is that I really really want to tether it, but he is starting. Like I said on Twitter the other day, it feels like the next time you make a Tesseret, it's going to be just a circuit board with dreadlocks. Because <laughs> like he's right now in his like you know T one thousand phase, and he's pretty soon just going to be like you know the the, the Calcutron from from Unstable. Yeah. His flavor text is uh, beep a wop a boop a wop. It's like R two D 2s uncle. But man, the Tesseret Artifice Master Master. Going straight into yeah. Brea. I love that card. Really, this set has so much for so many of the decks that I play or want to play. And so many good reprints. I know. I know we it's didn't breaking Shivam's heart that he can't talk about his favorite reprints. Oh my god, yeah. you don't know how much I want that card. It's Scapeshift. Oh my god. <laughs> and Crucible. Scapeshift and Crucible together. Oh. Also, thank you for the Chromium turning into the story character. That is amazing. Oh yeah. That was definitely my little gift to the Vorthos community. Was the uh, in the in the old comic books, um, we uh, we see him watching over his sister Palladia Moors, who he's enchanted to to sleep underneath a hill, and he's uh, transformed into a, a human and is living among humans so that he can keep renewing the spell. Yeah, so I I snuck in that little reference to the old comics and the card design. It's amazing. Yeah, there's so much flavor in this set. I don't know if you listen to them, but the Voice of All podcast, I now wait for the story to come out on the Voice of All podcast before I consume it. Nice. I don't read them anymore. I just listen to them. Oh, yeah, and I they do all the voices. Long. It's really good. Yeah, they've got a lot. They've got like different actors for each character and stuff. Yeah. yeah I yeah. need to listen to that sometime. Yeah, I think you would enjoy it a lot. Yeah, they just did the first um, the first story from uh, the Chronicle of Bolas. That's it. Is that the proper way to say it? Bolas? Yes. I call him Nicky B. How do you say his name fully? Nickel Bolas. Nickel Bolas. Not Nickel Bolas. No, not like that. Yeah, well, good luck with changing the, the way I say it, man. Nickel Bolas is what he is since 1993. <laughs> I am too old. Listeners, you should write in and tell us how you pronounce Nicky B's name. <laughs> and since we're talking about the king himself... Ethan, you want to lead us out with one last story about the design of Nikki B? Oh, sure. Nickel Bolas was hard to design. My initial impulse was to design something for a Grixis control deck, right? I was like, I wanted this to be like a really strong standard card. I was like, this, this needs to be the coolest card in the set and needs to be awesome. People need to play it in tournaments. It's going to be sweet. And 
It's like, it turns out what you don't really want in a in a control deck is like a creature that comes down like halfway through the game and then at some point transforms into a planeswalker maybe if he didn't get killed. It's like, you know what? The control deck doesn't want to do that. It wants something more like Chromium, which waits until the end of the game and shows up and is completely impervious to harm and then just wins. After kind of noodling on this thing for a while, we realized that what we really needed was a card for more of a mid-range deck. So you want to just like curve out into Polos, get him out on turn four, turn three if you're lucky, and make them discard a card, start smashing their faces, and if the game goes on too long, then you get an absurdly powerful Planeswalker <laughs> that can just do anything, right? Yeah, so it was definitely much more of a, of a mid-range card. Uh, we built a bunch of sweet dragon tribal stuff into the set. We've got a dragon's horde that taps for any color mana. And when you cast a dragon, you get to draw a card later. Uh, and we have, you know, the new Sarkon is really good with dragons. So Bolas can go in this in, in more of a, you know, straightforward Grixis mid-range deck or even in a dragon tribal deck. And then, you know, you play that with your glory bringers. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is that when you guys previewed this card, I had my wife read the Planeswalker card, and she's like a casual magic player. She knows enough about the game to follow along, and she was just reading over the Planeswalker stuff, and she's like, wow, draw two cards, that's super strong. Wow, deal 10 damage, what the heck, this is absurd. And then she's like, wait, bring something back from the grave for free, what? And then she got to the bottom line of the Planeswalker, <laughs> and then she just put the phone down and looked at me, and she's like, how do they print that? Like... Exile all but the bottom card. <laughs> I think Andrew Brown came up with that ultimate. He's uh, he's on the play design team, and uh, you know I worked with him on a lot of the uh, getting a lot of the cards right for standard. And uh, yeah, he came up with that. And I was like, that is so awesome. Nickel Bolas would totally totally <laughs> exile not all the cards, just enough to give to hold out the slight sliver of hope yes. so that that hope could be dashed like that. <laughs> is something a true villain would do. That's really brilliant. <laughs> so mean. Oh my god. I really want that ultimate. I want to I want to cast the card, I want to flip it, and then I want to play the ultimate. You should do it, man. Yeah. It's a goal. If you buy a case, there might be one in there. <laughs> <laughs> You've convinced me. <laughs> and if there isn't, just buy another case. It'll probably be in the next one. <laughs> we'll keep that in mind. Thank you. <laughs> God, this set is just chock full of amazing stuff. Yeah, it really is. And we begrudgingly allow the modern cards. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All I know is that I'm going to make a Crested Sunmare deck one way or another, and it's going to be amazing. I oh, played yeah. that deck in the FFL. It's super fun. You should totally do it. Dude, Diamond Mare and Crested Sunmare, it's going to be like indestructible glowing horses. This is like all of my Lisa Frank dreams that I never had as a child. <laughs> <laughs> indestructible horses all the way down. They're made out of diamond. I mean, it makes sense that they'd be indestructible, right? <laughs> well, listeners, you rock, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have recording it. Ethan, you are an amazing guest. Thank you for coming to visit with us and thank you for the set it's it's incredible it was my pleasure i had a lot of fun making the set and i always have a lot of fun coming on your show phil yeah we we love having you 
Okay, I want to hang out all night long, but it is uh, getting to be rather long, isn't it? Thanks for hanging out with us, and uh, everyone out there, thank you for hanging out with us too. We do enjoy chatting with you, so please make sure you contact us. Let's hear how listeners can reach us right now. You can reach us by going to our website, commanderandmtg.com. Our email is cast at commanderandmtg.com. You can find us on all of the social medias by searching for Commander and MTG Podcast. This episode was edited by David Mitchell. Our theme song was created for the podcast by Nate Burgess. Our logo was created for the podcast by Mr. Picto with assistance from Kelly DeLuca. You can find more art from Mr. Picto by going to mrpicto.co.uk. Special thanks to tech whizzes Jesse Thompson and Graham Frank, and to Justin for the server space. Commander and MTG Podcast is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy. It has not been approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast. Copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. And uh, special thanks to our patrons who show their support by donating to us so we can keep on improving the show. Without your continued support, we couldn't do this, and we are incredibly grateful. Ethan, long-standing tradition, I think you might have been one of the first people ever to do it for us. Would you take us out? Commanderin, please also listen to the next episode, which will be coming out fairly soon. We hope. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.